Welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hello, I'm Balaam Usitz, coming to you from upstate New York. I am a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor. And I'm Mike Wasserman, professor of international management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. Thanks for joining us today. You know, when Bela and I were both on the faculty of Clarkson University, we would have lots of interesting conversations about how two of our favorite topics, innovation and entrepreneurship, are constantly evolving. We do this over coffee or lunch as time allowed. But over the last two years, I moved to Germany and Bela retired. But Bela had this idea to continue these conversations in the form of a podcast, which I thought was a really bad idea uh, at first. But uh, Bela talked me into it, and we've done over 70 episodes now and have had a blast, haven't we, Bela? We have indeed, Mike. And we invite our listeners to join us each week as we talk with interesting entrepreneurs to share their stories and ideas. Our goal is to bring you individuals who have taken the unconventional path to find happiness in life and at work. One of the key elements of this podcast is to interview business founders we can all identify with. Our guests have included coffee roasters, software developers, business consultants, and restaurant owners. We want their stories to inspire you to say, hey, I can do that, and then just maybe give you a push to start your own entrepreneurial adventure. But before we begin, we'd like to share with you that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long, long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Today's guest is Greg Rex. Greg has helped build 10 companies. He is also a very active well-being coach, both for entrepreneurs and managers in large businesses. And Greg is an author of a book that was recently published with the title of Stoked, A Spiritual Journey from Employee to Lifestyle Entrepreneur. Let's now dive right into the interview with Greg. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with Greg Rex, who is an author who recently wrote the book Stoked, A Spiritual Journey from Employee to Lifestyle Entrepreneur. And I think the title of the book says it all. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks, Bella. So, Greg, um, if you're at a social event and someone comes up to you and says, oh, nice to meet you, Greg. Uh, can you tell me what you do? Uh, how do you answer that question? I say I'm an agent of transformation. Um, I have been uh, studying what makes people shift and make permanent change for about 30 years. And what I do is I help people figure out what their optimal lifestyle would look like, where they are right now in relationship to that, and then I offer them some support in creating that lifestyle of their dreams and transforming their lives to where they can organize their life around what matters most to them. Yeah, yeah. So do you do that as a mentor, as a consultant, or you know, put a little, uh, build that out a little bit for me? Well, when I say agent of transformation, I am a, I'm a well-being coach. And I look at health, as a coach, I'm looking at their healthy body, healthy mind, healthy finances, and a healthy spiritual life. 
So it's a very comprehensive kind of approach. Um, I do mentor people because in addition to supporting my, my clients that I work with, um, I've also developed a, a working with Dr. Anderson and some other uh, experts, a system where other people can become a coach. And so I mentor the coaches who are doing what I'm doing. And then, of course, I have my own uh, clients that I work with one-on-one. Got it. Got it. So uh, mention those four things that you're looking to balance again. Well, it's interesting because when I started the the book, it kind of goes back to my own personal experience where I was out of balance. I was working in a corporate field. I was working, you know, 60, 70 hours a a week. Um, I was kind of all in with my business. I was taking a company public. And I put my health on the back burner. I put my t- free time, my relationships, my hobbies on the back burner. I was all in trying to get my career. You know, I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was, you know, 35. That was the goal. And um, and I really lost that balance. So when I first stumbled into finding my, you know, my new direction, my new direction was I wanted to find harmony and balance, and I wanted to simplify my life. And I remember I was down in Costa Rica. I'm 50 pounds overweight. The corporate job had just ended. I got laid off. I was like $100,000 in debt with a lot of student loans and credit card bills and things like that, kind of living beyond my means. And I, I needed to simplify my life. So I came up with this concept because I was looking around. I was kind of in a midlife crisis. I'm in this beautiful rainforest. I'm on this surf trip that should have been a dream of my life, but I'm so overweight, so stressed out. I can't have fun. I can't even catch the waves because I'm too heavy to surf. And I literally was praying to God, help me figure out what am I going to do? What, and I don't want to go back to the corporate grind. I don't want to go back to you know, being an employee. Um, I really want to have balance in my life. I wanted to have this simple life. I'm looking at these Costa Ricans, and they have this simple, beautiful life in nature. They're, they're fishing. They're farming. They're, they're happy. They're healthy. And I said, I want that. You know, I want to just be more relaxed with my life. So I started noticing three frogs, three types of monkeys, three different kinds of exotic birds. There was just three, three, three everywhere. And it kind of sparked in me this idea of this trilogy of simplifying to just the three fundamentals, which is healthy body, healthy mind, and healthy finances. So I went home from this little vacation, and I bumped into a guy I mentioned earlier, Dr. Anderson. I, I consider him like the Tony Robbins of, of, of health and wellness. And he and I, he had this vision and I partnered with him and we built this, this company together. Um, and I was working on those three areas, healthy body, mind, and finances. And I was actually fairly successful, really successful. Our company's grown to, you know, from 30 coaches to over 30,000 coaches and from 5 million a year to almost 700 million a year in sales. We had built this beautiful community and system for helping people take control of their, their well-being. But there was part of me that was always in the shadows, and that was spirituality, because I was kind of taught earlier on, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about spirituality and religion. So I kind of kept it out of the equation, even though my whole life, it was very important to me. It was something that I practiced, but I practiced it in private. And what this book was about for me is about realizing that you can't take spirit out of anything. Spirit is in every aspect of your life, your relationships, your, your personal development, your, your health. There's a spiritual component to all of it. So really, for me, this book was finding a way to integrate um, the fourth component, 
which is the healthy healthy spirit and that's um that's been really important for me to to make it more sustainable and more congruent for my 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 integrity and my values of what's real, truly important to me yeah yeah so what do you think is the main driving force that gets people out of balance across these various vectors um i think it's it's a couple things one is most people are not really clear on their values and really what is most important to them for me i found myself kind of living uh for other people i was like trying to keep up with the joneses i was trying to satisfy you know my parents and what they thought i was supposed to do and things like that and it really wasn't checking in with my true heart with what's important to me and when you're in reaction mode and you're just trying to you know deal with whatever comes up there's so much stimulation today there's so much information there's so many opportunities that it's easy to get overwhelmed and that's kind of what the first step for me was is i had to simplify to carve away all those things that i'd said yes to that weren't that important that were like maybes and that were shoulds and that were i'm doing it for you know because i'm supposed to do it and as i cleared away some of those those things that were less important and i focused on those three areas it gave me the potential think about it. if you're trying to juggle eight balls it's pretty difficult you're going to drop some but if you're just juggling three balls it's a little easier and so by simplifying and focusing in that is one of the things that i think helps people um from getting to that state of of overwhelm and out of balance yes i understand so you know when you when you read entrepreneurial books when you see shark tank on tv you know you, you read uh, what uh, venture capitalists looked for um, it always talks about you being 100% in, 100% committed. So how do we sort of reconcile that, you know, for, for folks who want to be entrepreneurs, who, for, you know, in one ear constantly hear, you know, you got to be all in, you got to mortgage your house, you got to put all your finances on the edge uh, with this sort of balancing your life and, and, and not going down, you know, not finding yourself overweight, and out of shape and not having a good time when you're trying to go surfing in Costa Rica. Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the fallacies, uh, I'm, a, I'm a capitalist. I'm a pure capitalist. And one of my first mentors uh, was Tony Robbins. And I got a chance to study with, with him for many years. I was his uh, rookie of the year and one of his top sales managers. And he, besides teaching me a lot, um, he also introduced me to some experts, like world-class experts. One of them, his name is Paul Pilzer. And he's a He's an economist, and he wrote a book called uh, Unlimited Wealth, and it's the subtitle is The Theory of Economic Alchemy, and what he was talking about is that economic alchemy in the first like half of the book was just to debunk the false belief that scarcity exists. You, you know, even even something like oil. He was saying that you know, you know, hundred years ago, um, oil that we needed was whale oil. And they would write headlines, you know, the world's going to die. We're not going to have light. We're running out of whales. And then he fast forwarding, he shows a picture of, you know, more modern day oil crisis headlines. You know, we're running out of oil. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to be able to survive humanities and, and shit. And he just made the point that the technology of the day is what determines what a tech, what, what a resource is or isn't, you know? Um, so whale oil is no, no longer that kind of a resource that we need. It's, it's, it's a different resource today. So knowing that 
when you're in business, the, the biggest fallacy that I think people have is that number one, there's a scarcity there, that there is such a thing as scarcity. There's a total abundance and every year uh, quality of life gets better and abundance gets more accessible to more people. So that's the one thing I think is a fallacy. The second fallacy, and this is taught in business schools by most, you know, prestigious business schools, there's, there's a shift happening. But for many years, especially when I was becoming an entrepreneur, you would hear this phrase often. I bet you as a professor, you've heard it as well, is that the true purpose of any business is to, you know, create a return for the shareholders. That's the fundamental business, uh, purpose. And when you put that hierarchy was profits over everything, what happens is, is that it's unsustainable. The ecosystem cannot be sustained by that model. And there's a new movement called conscious capitalism, which is kind of the one of the theories of this book is there's a way to create a highly, even more sustainable, more predictably successful business model that doesn't put profit at the top and everything else, you know, employees and clients and, and uh, you know, the impact on, on, on humanity, impact on our environment. Putting all those things secondary over profit is terribly unsustainable. It's the same thing for an individual. That's where I was. I was putting my business as the priority over everything else instead of having it be there's, there's several priorities that need to be managed at once. So I think there's a big shift in mentality that today we're seeing the most successful businesses do care about their employees deeply, their clients deeply. They, of course, they care about their shareholders, but not at the expense of humanity, not at the expense of, um, of the environment. And so that, I think, is the shift in mindset is to a holistic, sustainable view that, you know, when you're going to build something to last, you actually have to be a little more conscious in how you design it. You can't just, you know, rush it. And so part of the American dream that's been a little bit bastardized is that, you know, it went from, you know, work hard, um, do my best. I have this opportunity in this land of freedom to go out there and, and create whatever I want and I can make a difference and I can, you know, I can make a better life for myself and for my kids. That's kind of the old American dream to now the American dream is kind of like, you know, what's the shortcut? What's the, what's the quick fix? How can I make a million dollars overnight? So I think there's a big mental shift that needs to happen for entrepreneurs to see themselves um, as a part of an ecosystem and designing their business, designing their lifestyle so that it is sustainable because it's very easy to burn out in today's world. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, I've, I, I've witnessed a lot of that and, and sometimes I've witnessed it when I looked in the mirror. So I understand very well what you're saying. So, yeah. uh, if you look at, if you look at the people you work with, uh, your clients, the folks that you coach, is, is there something that happens in their lives that say, is there a triggering event? So they pick up the phone and call you and say, Hey, I want to engage with you or, or sort of Talk us through that. What's the what's the mechanism that makes someone to do to do that? Often that is the case. Oftentimes there's a triggering event, um, and we've seen that when people have sort of a wake up call. Um, sometimes it's a medical crisis. Sometimes it's a you know a heartbreak. Um, sometimes it's a it's a failure in something. Something that really you know it knocks you down. It it, it it's. It's that time for you to step back and reflect and say, what am I doing this for? Why am I working so hard? What's this all about? Is, it, is this really worth it? And when you take that step back and you go inside and you check in with your real priorities, that gives you an opportunity to, to transform. That gives you an opportunity to make 
to create a new relationship with yourself, with your, with your goals, with your surroundings. So yeah, oftentimes, uh, Bella, it is after a crisis when somebody reaches out because they become coachable out of necessity. Like, I got to try something new. This isn't working. I'm not going to go back to the rat race like I told myself. Oftentimes, though, it could be out of inspiration. So it can definitely be from desperation. But sometimes, about the same number, quite frankly, it's about it's about equal, is when they're inspired. They they're, they meet somebody that I've been coaching, and they're, and they're somebody that they trust, and they say, gosh, you look different. What's going on? You're smiling all the time. Well, I got my health back, and I'm doing things I've never done before, and I I'm, I'm got out of my victim mentality. I used to like be stuck in this rut, and I made some changes. I made some decisions, and I've changed my life. And that, that, that aha moment is more of, wow, if he can do it, if Bob can do it, why not me? And so I would say, you know, almost 100%, probably close to 95% of all of my uh, clients come from referrals, either people that, that I bumped into and we connect or that they've met one of our clients who's had a great story, a great success, and they ask them, what's going on? You look different. You seem different. How did you do it? And then they say, well, I'm working with this coach. And then I get a chance to interview them and find out if they're ready to you know, make some changes in their life. Yeah. So is there... Is there sort of one thing that uh, most people are out of balance on? Hmm. Is there one thing? Well, I, you know, it's hard to say there's one thing, but you can definitely say there are some patterns. Um, one of the biggest areas where people are out of balance is self-care, making time for themselves is by just constantly saying yes and, and striving and especially entrepreneurs. I mean, we got to remember as an entrepreneur, you're the goose that lays the golden egg, especially if you're just starting a business. You know, it's that all-in mentality that you said, yeah, it takes a serious level of uh, commitment to start a business and to make it successful. You know, you, you probably know the odds better than I do, but some of the stats I've seen from the U.S. Board of Labor, this is a few years ago, but it's like 80% of businesses don't make it past year two. Right. So there's, you know, think about that. If you're going to war and you're a soldier and you, you're told as you board the, the ship that's taking you over to the battle is that, hey, 80% of you guys aren't coming home. That's a scary statistic to go into. And that's the reality of, of starting a business. And some fields are more difficult than others. But, you know, you've got to be super courageous and, and you've got to have determination and you've got to have wherewithal. But you also got to take care of yourself because if you don't feed the goose that lays the golden egg, there's no more, you know, sustenance. So it's, it's that mentality of putting myself, my health, my relationships, my, you know, my self care, I'm going to put, I'll get to that when I'm successful. That's the kiss of death right there. I'll, I'll make time for myself. I'll make time for my, my family. I'll make time for my, my workouts. I'll make time for those passions. Once I'm successful, that's the formula for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I called you up, uh, Greg, and I said, hey, look, um, I, I, I want to engage with you, uh, sort of take me through sort of the first step that we would do together. Uh, what I like to do is schedule a call, of, uh, like a Zoom, where I can you know, see their face and I can connect with them, or Skype where we can see each other, um, or meet in person if they happen to be local. And we get together for 20 or 30 minutes to kind of talk about 
where they are now and if they could really redesign their life and make it optimal. You know, optimal is different for <clears throat> different people at different stages of their life, you know, but my definition of optimal is just being the best you can with what you have. And so if we start talking about what would their optimal lifestyle look like, what would their optimal health, healthy body, their sleep, their nutrition, their fitness, their relaxation, their surroundings, we look at their um, healthy mind, their free time, their relationships, their enjoyment at work, are they engaged at work? Um, these are triggers that that we can show, we can actually measure through the Gallup study, the very comprehensive study on this is what traits create well-being in, in a, for a person. And so we look at those, there's 18 of them we look at, and we look at where they are on a scale of one to 10 um, right now, currently, and then what would it take or what would it look like to be, at, you know, eight, nine, or 10, bringing those scores up to, you know, no one's ever perfect. You never have a perfect balance. Um, but what you have is you have a flow, you have a rhythm. So I, I look for their, their routines, their current habits that might not be serving them. And then we look at creating a structure and a routine and some healthy habits that will lead them towards that optimization. And so we talk about their vision and we talk about what their current reality is. And then I give them some options on how we might be able to partner together to help that make it, uh, make it reality for them. Okay. So it sounds like uh, part, of the, part of the first step is sort of a self-assessment of sort of where you want to be and then sort of having a realistic view of where you actually are. That's exactly what we call it. It's the well-being assessment. And it's a, it's a conversation that, uh, you know, that they get to go inside and stop the craziness and take a look at, you know, where am I going to be? Because the reality is that wherever we are today is a result of the decisions that we've made over the last several years, the decisions and the actions we've taken. And so when they're realized that they're responsible for the mess that they're in, they're responsible for the habits that they have, they're responsible for the choices that they make, I can help them see that if you keep doing what you're doing, you can predict where you're going to be the next several years. But if you're willing to take responsibility, maybe make some changes, um, say no to a few things and say yes to a few new things, um, what's possible over the next couple of years? And I, I actually really think it's important for people to start thinking long term. I don't choose to partner with people that want quick fix because I just don't, you know, one of my mentors was um, Edward Demings. He was the guy who went over to Japan after right, World War right. II. Quality you know free. Right. Quality is free. It. Yeah. He, he said, a, a, a quick fix is neither, is one of his favorite quotes. A quick fix is neither. Um, because you have to redo it. <laughs> it's waste. Because if you do it quick and you don't do it right the first time, you're going to have to redo it. So sustainable change, transformation that, that's lasting um, requires conscious it requires people getting out of the reactive mode. So a lot of what we do, Bella, has to do with people taking responsibility and learning how to take control of this powerful tool we have called our minds and our hearts and you know our, 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 our consciousness as human beings. Yeah. So do you think this notion of people realizing uh, that they are responsible for the choices they make. And, and most, most of the times, not always, I mean, we're born into certain situations. Sometimes we get held dealt a, 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 a set of cards that, you know, we have no control over, 
But even within that, we make certain choices and decisions. Is that the biggest stumbling block to get people to sort of realize that that they can move forward and they can change things in their lives? It really is. Uh, you know, there's two ways to live life, unconscious, reactive, in fear, um, worried about how you look, worried about being right, being a victim, being the, the persecutor, being a hero. All, all of those roles, you may have heard of the, the drama triangle. All of those roles are are not productive. They're what we call below the line. And above the line is taking responsibility and being conscious and being a learner. Um, instead of being a victim, you're, you're the creator of your life. And that's when you take responsibility where you say, even when stuff happens, it's not happening to me. It's happening for me or even better yet, it's happening through me because you know, like we said, talked about earlier, those decisions that we make put us in a certain situation that we end up with. Now, of course, health happens, life happens, accidents happen. You're born into the life that you have. But I mean, think about how many stories we've heard. I mean, on being an interviewer, like you've heard so many rags to riches stories, so many people who've overcome these incredible odds, you know, miraculous stories. That's not that's not something that one special person has the right to is to create their life regardless of their circumstances. We all have the opportunity if we take responsibility to rise above our circumstances and to use every circumstance, even the tough ones as growth opportunities. I'll give you one that, that, that comes to mind for me a couple of years ago. It's about five years. Uh, just had an anniversary for one of my best friends. I went, I went to uh, junior high with him. He was one of my dearest, closest friends. He was an amazing entrepreneur, and he, ha he had a, a sudden stroke at age 48 and passed away. And it was like, oh, it, it almost killed me. I was like, I, I couldn't understand it. You know, why did this happen? And he had just sold his business for $800 million, and he was like one more year before his buyout clause where he could just chill and relax for the rest of his life. And, and, and he was taken you know, it was a, a fluke, um, you know, medical thing that took him and that, that knocked me down. But, but there's a blessing in that. There was a huge, huge blessing in that is that that was a perfect timing for me in my life. When I was starting to get complacent, I was starting to take things for granted. I had built a successful business. I have a beautiful house in San Diego, a beautiful house in Tahoe. Um, you know, business was going well, my health, but it's easy to, even when things are going well, to get complacent. And that wake-up call for me was like, hey, life is precious. That could have been me. So just like inspiration and like, oh, if he can do it, so can I. Sometimes these like life-changing events can be a wake-up call where people say, gosh, I'm going to reevaluate what's important to me. And I took that experience and I was able to turn it into, like, you know, refining my goals and making sure that the next 10 years of my life are really purposeful and on mission. And I'm not wasting any day because this could be the last day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've all, as, as, uh, as life goes on, we've all seen people who um, leave this earth way too soon. And oftentimes those are wake up moments for us uh, where we yeah. say, Oh my gosh, you know, that person's younger than I am. And, uh, I thought they had everything going for them and boom, they're gone. So 
that's one of those moments that often gets you to reflect a little bit and to take inventory uh, to what's going on in your life. And uh, sometimes those can be good forcing functions to make you change something. Yeah, it just says as a divorce, as tra- as this traumatic and, and, and painful as a divorce could be or a breakup or, you know, a health crisis, all of these things, um, they can, for the person who says it's happening to me, I'm a victim, that it's to blame, they start blaming the circumstances or blaming a person or it's like, you know, they become disempowered. But the, the, the flip side of that is, is when you take responsibility, you say, okay, this happened. There's a lesson here. What am I meant to learn? How am I going to grow? What's important to me? Then you can use that, what seems like a, an obstacle as a stepping stone. And you can, you can harness the power of adversity and put it to work for you. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is a more conscious and it's a more effective way to live. Because it really sucks being a victim. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Greg, are there are there certain cultures uh, in the world where they're really good at this, just because of their sort of you know cultural uh, ethos that happens within within their world? That's a great question. Um, I've I've yet to see a culture that has figured out this dynamic of, 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 well, actually there's one, there's one in it. It's, it's still, it's not ingrained in the culture, but they have a word for it. I was going to say this trilogy. I started talking about the trilogy of healthy body, mind, and finances is something that I've, that I and, and my colleagues have been teaching for almost 20 years now. There's another trilogy that's very, very common. It's a, it's common in the native American tradition. It's native common in the, like the Indian yoga tradition. It's called mind, body, spirit. And that's the trilogy of, of well-being. But I realized something, and I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to um, science and, and, uh, and things like that. And one of my heroes, actually, I quote him on, on the beginning of every chapter in the book, is Buckminster Fuller. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Bucky. Oh, sure. Sure have, yeah. Okay. So Buckminster Fuller studied uh, geometry, and he studied, like, he was – a comprehensivist. He didn't just study one thing. He looked at like how everything worked together. And when I was down in this rainforest in Costa Rica, I saw these, this trilogy, this three, three, three everywhere. I said, Oh, it's a sacred number, you know, the Trinity, the trilogy. So I kind of latched onto that thinking, because I remember from geometry that the triangle was a simple, the most simple, stable structure. But as I come to mature, I realized that a triangle doesn't exist in nature. Triangle is a two-dimensional concept of man. In, in nature, a triangle is actually called a tetrahedron. There's four components. So if you mash up body, mind, and finances with body, mind, and spirit, you basically come to a structure that has four components, the sacred four. And a, a, a tetrahedron is the most simple, stable structure in nature, in the universe. And so by integrating that that fourth component, I don't see very many cultures doing it. Now, I will give credit to Japan because at least they have a word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you remember the book, Good to Great by yes. um, Jim Collins? Yep. I referenced that in my book uh, as one of the first teachings of this entrepreneur who's starting his business. And Jim Collins' trilogy was 
for the hedgehog, it was your, your passions, your gifts and talents, and a business model that allows you to make money doing what you love to do and what you're good at doing, right? Yes. Well, that's a great start, and it really gets people moving in the right direction. But what's missing is the fourth component, which the Japanese added, which makes it a tetrahedron instead of a, a trilogy, is what the world needs. So this, there's a concept in Japan called Ikigai. Have you heard of it? I have not. Ikigai uh, roughly translates to my true reason for being. And so when, for example, in the, in the uh, Native American traditions or in the yogic tradition, when they have a trilogy called Mind, Body, Spirit, well, not having a relationship with finances can be very dysfunctional in today's world where you need finances to survive. Um, back in the old days when Native Americans were trying to figure out their mission, they would go up on the hill and they would do a vision quest and they would come back and spirit would talk to them and say, here's your, your mission is to do this to the tribe, to bring back your medicine, to bring back your gifts to the tribe. And this, this was a give and exchange where the, everything was like a barter system. So they didn't need to have finances, but they had this built in exchange system. But today our method of exchange is using currency of money, you know, and people that don't have a relate, if that's not even on their radar, if they're mind, body, spirit, and that's where they put all their energy and attention, right? They end up being struggling in the financial world. They end up being, you know, making ends meet. They might be happy and blissful and they're meditating and stuff like that, but they can't afford to, you know, take care of their kids or do the things they want to do. So it's not sustainable on the opposite, the mind body finances community, what's missing for them is meaning and purpose. So this Ikigai, this cultural um, concept that again, Japan has not integrated this. They have a word for it, but they have one of the highest suicide rates in the world. People are killing themselves, jumping out of windows because they're so pressured to try to keep up and save face and that they can't make mistakes. And they're so, so they don't have it but they at least have a word for it. Right, right. So, uh, Greg, going to switch gears here a little bit. You, you've uh, mentioned several times mentors you've had and the importance of, of having a mentor or, or mentors. Um, can you say a few words about, about mentors and sort of how to find one and how to make them work, et cetera? That's a great question. It's, it is actually, in the beginning of my book, it's, the, it's one of the first principles I teach is mastery through mentorship. If I look back at my successes, I have to say that uh, other than me willing, willing to learn and grow and work hard, um, having a mentor to guide me has been invaluable. Um, so this concept of mastery through mentorship is built throughout my whole book, and I have four steps to that. The first is decide what I want to master. Not, who, not what I want to do, but what I want to master. What do we want to really get good at? And that's going to come from intrinsic desire inside of me. Number two is find the best person in that area, that field, and become their apprentice and become the eager apprentice, humble, ready to learn. The third step is to really work my butt off to duplicate their success, to learn their methods till I get to that level of mastery. And then the fourth step is to become the humble mentor and pay it forward to the next generation. And so mastery through mentorship is not only built throughout the book. I actually have a, um, a 
program that I do where I interview the people that have been my mentors. John Asraf, the new three-time New York uh, best-selling author, um, you know, Sim Harriman. Um, I have like many of these people. Tony Robbins is one of my very first mentors that I studied with um, back in the 90s. And then Tony introduced me to you know many of the people that he was connected to, Paul Pilzer and uh, you know Deepak Chopra and uh, Stephen Covey when he was around. So it's mastery through mentorship is the shortcut to success in my book. Excellent. Excellent. As you were saying that, um, help me differentiate a little bit, sort of, uh, let's say I, I say, look, I, I figured out what I, I want to, what I want to get good at. So how do I make the decision? Do I go down the mentor path or do I go find a coach? What's sort of the differences yeah. between those? That's a great question. I think um, coaches and mentors share some things in common. You know, they, they, they should both be really good listeners. They should both have experience and, and wisdom. Um, I think my distinction between a mentor and a coach is typically a mentor is someone who's actually done it and they have reached that level of mastery themselves. Uh, a coach could be trained in a certain method or a process, and they may or may not have mastered it. Now, in my book, I really don't want to hire a coach that isn't producing this, the kind of results that I want. I don't want somebody who's got book smarts but can't pull it off on their own. You know, that's the old comment that if you can't do it, you teach it. You know, you right. become a teacher or a consultant. Right. And um, so I think that's a big distinction is that many people who would, you know, call themselves coaches, they have a process or a method that they've learned. Maybe they got certified. Maybe they took a course, what have you. But the question I'm always asking from a coach or a mentor is, do they live it? Do they embody it? You know, do they have, do they live the lifestyle? Do they have the results that I want to have? Um, and a mentor will also be somebody that sometimes it could just be they come into your life and they have a coffee you know, meeting with you and they just say the right thing you needed to hear and it changes your mindset and you go off and you run with it. But often I think the kind of mentors that have had the biggest impact on me are the ones that um, they take an interest in my success. They are, they see my eagerness. They see my, my desire to learn and they see themselves in me. They, they, they look back and say, I remember when I was at your stage and gosh dang it, I would, I'm there. I've already made it. I'd love to help you get to uh, your next level. And they, they believe in your dreams even when you don't believe in it. They see the adversity and they don't shy and run from it because they've been through the adversity. They went through the fire and they made it to the other side. So they have confidence and they have uh, the ability to kind of like hold space during those difficult times. Coaches should be able to do the same thing. <clears throat> but I think mentors are just, I could say, at a higher level. Got it. Got it. As you were saying that, it, it got me to thinking about this notion of, you know, sort of what we're talking about here is is really changing your life uh, in, a, in a very broad sense. You're not just tra trying to change or improve one specific skill. So uh, as I was thinking about it, when you were saying that, is this notion of finding a mentor where they're actually exhibiting all of those characteristics in life that you want it gives you an opportunity to model after them, 
whereas a coach may be much more you know, specific to one or two or three different skills that maybe you're trying to improve. Yeah, and in, in some cases, um, the mentors might have success in one area that I really want to model, and they may not have um, success in all areas. So I have to, you have to learn how to, to be discernment and they pick and choose what, what makes sense to you, and you have to try everything on because you know what works for one person doesn't mean it's going to necessarily work for you. But the best mentors are the ones that teach principles that are timeless, um, that's why I refer so much to Buckminster Fuller because he spent the last 50 years of his life studying these universal principles that, you know, and he defined a universal principle as, as something that is, um, it's eternal, it's immutable, it's, it, it has no exceptions. It is, um, they're in, these, these principles are inter-accommodative. So in other words, they're, they, many of them, he said up to hundreds of them are happening simultaneously. So these principles are happening at the same time and they don't affect or, or interfere with each other. And the third thing is these principles are so predictable, you can actually prove them mathematically. So I think a good mentor will not be focused on strategies and tactics. They'll be focused on principles and those principles are sustainable. So I think uh, that's another distinction between a coach and a mentor is mentors will focus more on principles. Yes, they'll have some strategies, they'll have some techniques, some actions to give you to do, but they're more about shifting your mindset, change, transforming your thinking, getting you to look at things differently so that you can think differently, then you can be differently, then you can do differently. It starts with being. Yeah, excellent. Once, excellent. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that was, that was very clear. Very clear. So uh, you wrote this book, uh, the title is Stoked, A Spiritual Journey from Employee to Lifestyle Entrepreneur. What was sort of your motivation for writing that book? Um, part of it was my friend Ken passing and thinking, wow, if I were to go, if I, if I were to leave, you know, would there be any regrets? And there were not many regrets, but the one that, that I did feel is that I feel this two things. I feel there's this big challenge with how capitalism has shifted into this unconscious, um, profit-oriented, greed-oriented, more, 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 there's never enough uh, mindset that is destructive, that's been destructive, where I think you know capitalism and, and conscious capitalism could be a huge force for good. And I have this passion about the environment. I have this passion about uh, business and trying to find a way to you know, use um, entrepreneurship to solve the world's biggest problems. The other, the other passion for me is our healthcare system. I was, before I went into working with Tony Robbins, I was a pre-med student and I was on my way to being a, a physician. My dad was a physician assistant and I had, you know, worked at the Naval hospital as a corpsman to get some experience in there. But what blew me away, Bill, is that more I learned about the body's natural ability to heal the more impressed I was, the more I learned about the allopathic Western medicine system that we use. Allopathic means the study of disease, pathology. Mm -hmm. You know, we we don't have a healthcare system. This is another book by Paul Pilzer. I referenced him earlier. He wrote Unlimited Wealth. He also wrote a book called The New Wellness Revolution. And he goes through in that book and talks about how dysfunctional our healthcare system is. And um it's right now, it's the third leading cause of death 
preventable death, the third highest way uh, behind like uh, heart attacks and cancer is iatrogenesis, which means um, harm from the healer. Meaning you go to the doctor and you get an infection that you didn't have when you went to the hospital. Meaning you go into the doctor and they give you a medicine that counteracts with something else and it, you know, it causes damage. Yeah. So we have this huge, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest industries in America. It's like, you know, one fifth going, becoming, becoming one fourth of our total money spent in our society is on sick care. And I said, you know, if I were to pass away, I don't want to leave this planet in this state. I would love to see a shift. I would love to see the, 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 the things that my mentor started like Bucky and Marshall Thurber and, some of the people that I've, you know, studied, I would like to see their mission to save humanity from itself to continue. And I thought, you know, one of my, I've had, I've started 11 different businesses. Some of them have been great and successful. Some of them have been terrible flops, but at least I've learned a few things. And I thought, you know what, this next generation of entrepreneurs, I want to wake them up out of this, this dream that they've been sold. This, it's, it's a nightmare, really about the number one purpose for a business is profit. And because I suffered the consequences of having that in my life, of making my business my top priority and then putting everything else, I saw how entrepreneurs were doing that. They were killing themselves, struggling so hard. I thought maybe if I could, in a fun story, because this is a parable, it's, it's fiction. It's not like, it's not really my life story. It's, it's, there's a few loosely based things that come from my personal experience, but mostly it's a, it's a story that integrates these principles that my mentors have taught me. And so I really wanted to leave this next generation of, of uh, entrepreneurs a, a little bit of a, a fun handbook. Do you ever read the book, um, The Richest Man in Babylon? Uh, I have not. Well, it's a great book. It's a story. It's a parable, and, but it has all these lessons built into it. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's another great book. <clears throat> Robert Kiyosaki and Sharon Lecter wrote this story, but inserted these really important principles and methods of being successful in business and finances. So that was my idea is like, it's write a fun book. that's easy to read that has these messages built in that an entrepreneur can take and learn from and hopefully integrate and have a better chance of success than, you know, than people who are doing it. The old fashioned profit is king model. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful. So we've had a, a, a really a great conversation here for the last 40 minutes or so. Um, I imagine we've covered some of the things in your book. Are, are there some other important things that uh, we did not talk about that we should? Well, I think um, the, way, the way I wrote the book was to start with the individual that goose that lays golden eggs. So the first part of the book is geared around how the hero in the story has to take care of himself and, and actually get his own health, his own life, his own finances and balance on a personal level. And then he goes through the journey of going from being an employee, working in a, um, working with a pharmaceutical company. I, of course, you know, I wanted to have that, you know, the, the hero's journey, you've got the, you've got the hero and then you've got the, the, the enemies, the, 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 right. the forces of, right. of darkness. Um, and so one of those forces of darkness is greed in, in business. And the other one is, is this mentality that there's a pill for everything. There, there used there've been several medications that have been put out in the United States and internationally that were designed to help people lose weight, and they never work. Matter of fact, they almost always get pulled off the market um, because of the side effects are 
just brutal. Um, and so that's kind of part of the story is, is that he goes from being a, a successful, quote unquote, you know, on the surface um, pharmaceutical rep with the BMW and the Rolex and, you know, the, the fancy apartment and everything to losing it all because the business that he was associated with, that drug got pulled off the market and all the savings and his whole everything just fell apart. So the first part of the book is for him finding his own way and then him finding his his true north. What are his gifts and talents? What are his passions? What's a business model that can sustain him and have a healthy lifestyle? And then then he discovers the spiritual aspect of it. So I think um, the, the, the first part is, again, on the individual level. And then the, the second part of the book is how can somebody start structuring and to build a business that they can move into that's going to sustain the balance that they want, sustain the lifestyle they want. Many people start a business thinking they own it only to find that the business owns them. And so part of this book is to really teach people how to create leverage, how to create um, a model that allows them to have the kind of lifestyle that they really dream of instead of, like I said, you know, working for 20 years and then have the good life. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Sounds like a wonderful, wonderful book. And a uh, thank you for, for writing that down and sharing it. Cause it, it sounds like a really great story. It was a lot of fun. It was therapeutic. It was a lot of work. I couldn't have done it without my, uh, the support of, I had a, a book writing coach and I'd never written a book before, you know? Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And a lot of the feedback that I get, I get from people that are just starting a business, even people that have been in business for a while is that they really needed to hear this. They needed to kind of a wake up call for them. And they wanted to actually go through the steps of the uh, that the hero went through, getting his life in order, and then starting his business, and then creating it with, with intent, uh, intention and consciousness. So I, um, I originally was going to have little exercises and worksheets after each chapter, so that people could follow along and do the the, the steps that um, that, that uh, Mitch, who's the hero in the book, did. But I realized that. Um, that that would interrupt the story that people would just, they like to stay in the reading the focus groups were telling me, I love this story. I don't want to stop and, you know, distract myself and go into the, the thinking. I always want to follow the story. So I've designed a uh, online course that's going to be coming out in a, a couple months where I'm going to kind of coach people through the steps that Mitch goes through for themselves and for their business. So it's, I'm excited about the possibility of helping people uh, save themselves some frustration and get the results and then create, a better world with uh, with a business that's on purpose. Yeah, yeah, well, that sounds great. Well, the name of the book is Stoked, A Spiritual Journey from Employee to Lifestyle Entrepreneur. And uh, I will have links to it uh, in Amazon in the show notes for anyone who's interested. So uh, really thank you for being on the show, Greg. Uh, it was great. You're a wonderful guest. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Bill. And I'll let you know, uh, people are welcome to go to Amazon. They can just type in Stoke. They can find it. It's a bestseller. It'll pop right up. Um, but also I have, uh, because, you know, for me, this is not about making a profit. I don't, you know, my business is very successful. I don't need the book to be, uh, for me to sustain myself. I'm, I have a special word. If people go to stokedthebook.com, they can actually get the book just for paying for shipping. They just cover the shipping and we'll send them a soft copy of the book for free. So if anyone's interested, they can go to stokedthebook.com and they can get a free copy on me. Oh, excellent. That's very gracious of you. So it's stokedthebook.com uh, and you can get a book just for paying for shipping. That's great. Well, uh, that's very nice of you, Greg. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure, Bella. 
Thanks, Bela. That was a really interesting uh, interview that you did with Greg. He uh, is quite the character, and I think uh, it takes a really different approach to entrepreneurship than a lot of the guests that we've had. Uh, his emphasis on spirituality and wellness um, is different and, and really refreshing in, in a different way, which was cool. Um, you know, the thing that struck me was the connection between sustainability and personal wellness. And the idea he talked about in terms of con conscious capitalism is really interesting. And designing a sustainable business and a lifestyle as a way to be a better entrepreneur and a better person to me is something that's a, a really interesting thing to think about. Bela, how have you dealt with the issues of entrepreneurial well-being during your days as a VC? And maybe uh, you saw this when you were managing the incubator. Mike, that's a really great question. You know, trying to get the balance of sort of uh, your well-being and your drive and the things you got to accomplish to get a business started is a real challenge for folks. Um, and, you know, for each of us, that balance is different. Uh, there are some individuals who are, can uh, do very well uh, thinking about working in and doing their business 24-7. Uh, and there are others that need a different balance in their life. So for each of us, the balance is different. And I think that's the important thing to recognize here. It's not that uh, I can do it just like Steve does it, or I can do it just like Bob does it, or I can do it just like Mary or Nancy do it. Uh, this is really about finding that balance for you and what works for you. Um, and I think the way you do that <clears throat> is you, is you got to take time out uh, and, and you need to sort of ask yourself the question, is my life going in the direction that I want it to go in. Notice I said, is my life and not my business, right? Because they're two different things, or they certainly can be two different things. So I think you want to ask yourself that question and you want to find the right balance. Now, I will say that, you know, in the VC space, uh, when people uh, give money or buy shares of stock in your company, uh, they expect certain levels of performance and they expect certain levels of commitment. So oftentimes, if you're a person who needs uh, more of a balance in life, uh, meaning you want to spend more time doing uh, things other than work, uh, raising venture capital may not be the path for you because there is a certain level of expectation there. And, and doing a lifestyle business, as they're called, uh, which Greg talks about, uh, is exactly what may be right for you. So I think this is another thing you need to sort of sort through is given what's right for you in your life, does that match the the business or the uh, endeavor that you're in currently? Uh, for example, if you're working for a large company or you're working as an employee for any company, that may give you the right balance. Being an entrepreneur in a venture-backed business may not give you the right balance. Starting your own business, starting a lifestyle business, uh, as some of our guests have done in the past that we've had in the show, may give you perfect balance for you. So this is what you got to sort through and figure out for yourself. So the idea of designing not only your business model, but your kind of personal health and wellness model that goes along with that business model, I think is a really interesting idea and something I haven't really thought about in all the years that I've been kind of being an entrepreneur and coaching and teaching. Um, I really like this concept of Ikigai, by the way. This is something that one of my colleagues introduced me to me here in Germany, and we teach it to our students um, uh, you know, here right now. Uh, and a fun part of this for me was to get uh, entrepreneurs to connect their Ikigai 
with their business model, which is really kind of cool. And it's a, and it makes actually a ton of sense once you point out to people that this kind of personal understanding of their purpose and meaning and journey should be aligned somehow with the value proposition that's at the core of their business model uh, and should influence the customer relationships and their supplier relationships. So if you kind of think about it from those of you that know the business model canvas, you can really overlay Ikigai very nicely with that and really help people, I think, develop this balance um, that Greg was talking about. Um, so, you know, to me, I think this is cool. I mean, how are you going to take care of your business resources, your customer service, your employee satisfaction, managing supplier relationships, um, having some sort of corporate social responsibility or community relationships and being a good steward of financial and physical resources that entrepreneurs must do all of the above. Right. All of these require energy and demand a lot of an entrepreneur uh, and can certainly influence not only her or his health, uh, physical and mental, but also her or his relationships with partners, with family, uh, with friends and things like this. Um, Bela, what kind of advice do you give entrepreneurs when it comes to having this balance? Yeah, Mike, exactly right. You know, I think that, again, striking this balance is a real challenge. And, uh, you know, in any business, you, you have lots and lots of different things tugging and pushing on you. Um, you have customer service, you have employees, uh, you have supplier relationships, um, corporate and social responsibilities. There's a lot of things that, that you sort of mentioned there. And these things are all time-consuming, and different businesses have different demands in those areas. So this is, a, again, why I go back to this notion of thinking about what you want in life, what you want your life to look like, and then based on that, see how that maps onto various different types of, of jobs or businesses or entrepreneurial endeavors um, because it's not one prescription fits the same for everybody. Uh, they're very different. And I think it takes time to sort through that. You may have to try two or three or four in order to figure out what the right balance for you is. Um, you know, if you look back on the things that I've done, I've worked for large companies and I've done startups uh, and, and I think they're, they were very different there were some elements that were, that were very similar, uh, but there's some elements that were very different. And, you know, even in the non-entrepreneurial space, I'll call it if working for a large company, you know, if your career aspirations are to be in a senior leadership position in that country, company, uh, the demands on your time uh, are probably very similar to running your own business. Um, oftentimes, uh, as you move up in large corporations, that uh, work-life balance starts to shift uh, just as it may in an entrepreneurial business. And also, during the life of an entrepreneurial business, these work-life balances shift with time. Sometimes it's very intense for the first two or three years. Uh, even if you're trying to do a lifestyle business, uh, you may have to commit uh, a considerable amount of time in the beginning to get your endeavor launched. Uh, your ultimate goal is to have a lifestyle business, uh, but it just may take uh, more time in the beginning uh, to get things going and get things established. Uh, and then you can back off the accelerator a little bit. Uh, so these things are real challenges. I think it's a really important topic uh, sort, of, sort of for your well-being uh, and your, and your you know, surviving, if you will. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, it's something that we don't think about all that much. We don't give it enough time. And, and that's why I think uh, we can learn things from other cultures and uh, apply it to ourselves. 
And then the last thing, Bela, that I thought, and proving that there are lots of ways to slice a loaf of bread. Uh, we heard yet another really good distinction uh, between mentoring and coaching. And, and uh, Greg said that a mentor has mastery. Right? A mentor is somebody that has a full amount of experience and that can really share this mastery um, with you. Uh, whereas a coach might just have a small skill that they're good at and it's not the same thing as mastery. That just as could be equally as important, uh, but it's a different level, I think, of, of understanding and a different type um, of experience that's shared. And I thought that was a really cool way uh, to, to distinguish between a, a coach and a mentor. And again, there's no right answer to this, but it's really cool that if, uh, for those of you that have listened regularly and you go back and look, this is a theme that keeps popping up is kind of what's coaching versus what's mentoring. And there's different ways to look at it, all of which are interesting. And that I think that I'm taking with me and as I evolve my own kind of mental model in terms of what's a good coach and what's a good mentor. I really also liked his description about the differences uh, between mentoring and coaching. Uh, you know, I think that was, uh, a really interesting way to think about it. And uh, yeah, this is uh, the second or third person we've had on the podcast, the guest that has talked about mentoring and coaching. And, and this was a slightly different twist on it. Uh, but I think it was uh, really, really good. You know, and it strikes me as uh, <clears throat> it seems like everyone is looking for a mentor. Uh, you hear that a lot. Uh, I hear it from students. Uh, you hear it from other folks you run into. Uh, they're looking to to find a mentor, or they want to they want to mentor somebody. Um, but I think that it, here in the United States, um, you know, coaching really has not uh, m- received the attention uh, that maybe it should. And um, so I was just wondering what your thoughts on that were, Mike. And you know, is it the same in Germany uh, as it is in the United States uh, with respect to people thinking about coaching versus mentoring? Great questions, Bela. Uh, here's my take on this. So, you know, I think in the United States, coaching is a model that intuitively is understood by a lot of people, right? I mean, most kids in the U.S. are exposed to sports at a young age, and all of these kids have coaches, okay? Um, so people understand the word coach, and they recognize the function of a coach. Um, you know, and in Germany, it's the same thing. There's The sports is done differently. It's not part of the schools. Um, it's There's clubs that uh, exist and that people join. Um, so it's a little bit different, but but there's coaches in soccer and, and handball and volleyball and the, the sports that kids play here in Germany. But um, the industry looks a little bit different from what I can tell. Uh, there's a fairly healthy coaching industry here in Germany. And um, we looked it up and there's it's about a 500 million euro per year business, which is pretty good size here. Um, but, you know, in the U.S., um, the one of the dominant models of coaching is kind of this idea of life coaching where you pay a coach and they help you not only with your professional goals, but with your personal life and to keep things in balance. Um, in Germany, coaching seems to me to be very much aligned with specific business skills. Uh, so your boss would identify a, a set of skills or you would help identify a set of skills that you need to cook, move along your career trajectory and the company would bring in an outside person or somebody at least uh, aligned with the corporate office rather than your business uh, unit wouldn't be your boss or somebody like this that would provide you with coaching on specific business skills. Um, you know, and this is aligned with, we've, you and I have talked a lot about coaching versus mentoring. And mentoring is somebody within your own company or your own industry. Um, coaches, like I said, outside the, the, the company typically. And um, I've talked to a few friends and colleagues about this and the life coach model just doesn't seem to be prevalent here in Germany. And we th- I think that one reason is, is that in Germany, if you had personal issues balancing your work life or with your relationships, you would never go to a coach for that. You would go to a therapist or a counselor 
Um, and again, this is more typical here. The health uh, system and the health insurance system is set up differently where everybody has to have health insurance and um, med mental health resources are a lot more accessible. And from what I can tell in my two years of living here full time is that um, there's a lot less stigma attached to, to going and getting a therapist, uh, talk to a therapist or a counselor about mental health issues. So we really keep the work and the business things separate. And from what I can tell, coaching here in Germany is much really only about the business side and not about the personal side. And Germans tend not to mix these things. Um, Work-life balance is really important and keeping work-life separate from personal life is also really important. So it's a different approach here. Um, but it is it is really popular. Um, there's a well-known startup called Coach Hub that's based in Berlin and they provide digital coaching. So you get your coaching using an app and video calls. You have an actual personal coach. Um, this Coach Hub, they got, I think, 6 million euros uh, last summer in, in funding. Um, and they say they have an AI interface and they match you up with uh, some coaches. You get an interview with each one, you pick one, and then the coaching services are provided um, electronically using essentially video calls and an app. Um, there's a similar company, a bigger company called BetterUp in the US um, that's that's pretty popular as well. Um, so that's something if you're interested in this, you can go and look at. Um, but kind of my take on the US system is, you know, yeah, like I said earlier, there's more recognition of the label coach than mentor. Uh, but I also think there's a lot of youth sports coaches that are bad. I can really think of some in my childhood that were bad. And think about it. I mean, they're not adequately trained. They're, the coaches are part psychologist, part physiologist, part medical doctor, part sociologist. And in all these youth leagues that we have in the U.S., there really isn't a lot of training. I mean, I know there's some and it's increasing, but and I think these people all have great intentions. Uh, but I think sometimes the, the kids walk away with kind of a negative perceptions of coaches. And I wonder if that doesn't carry over now um, into the industry. And that might be holding it back a little bit in the, in the U.S. And in the business model. You know, when you think of a mentor, you don't pay for a mentor. Um, mentoring is something that's voluntary. Um, even when it's assigned as part of a program, it's not something that you pay for. Um, but a coach is something you pay for. I looked it up also on the same um pretty good study that I read in Germany, the average fee is 100 to 200 euros per hour of coaching that companies pay these outside coaches to come in and coach their employees. Um, so if you can ask a, in the US, if you can access a mentoring relationship that serves at least some of the same purposes as a coach, why pay for a coach? So there's this interesting, I think, barrier to acceptance of coaches in the US. And then the third is I think the industry, the coaching industry in the US doesn't help itself because there's this really strong personal coaching or life coaching, I think they call it industry. And I know people who are in this space and I think there's some really good ones. Um, it's self-accredited and it's kind of self um, you, you take a course and you do have practical experience, but, um, you know, there's not a huge body of research on it and there's not, um, a huge body of science. There's, there's the criteria for success is, um, pretty muddy because it's a very, um, kind of personal type of, of coaching. It's not, uh, based on, uh, set criteria where you're demonstrating mastery over certain business skills like negotiations or managing people or providing feedback or whatever it is that you're doing. It's a lot harder to measure this. It's squishy, right? Um, so I think that there's a lot of these life coaches that are out there. And again, I think some do a great job and some don't, but it's, um, but it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. I think this industry hasn't helped itself by having clear criteria and clear standards, at least that it, I've read about, um, and that people have been able to explain to me really clearly. It's this mix of personal counseling and therapy with business coaching. And it's not exactly clear where the lines are. Um, and I think that's by design. Um, you know, so I think that the industry itself in the U S has, has kind of created some awareness, but also created some barriers to adoption, um, that they need to deal with. Um, 
But I, you know, that said, I want to say, I think there's a ton of life coaches and a ton of satisfied customers um, that it works for them. Um, and so that kind of brings me to my conclusions. It's a short, it's the typical Mike Wasserman long answer to a short question. Um, but I think coaching really has an important role and you should try it and see if it works for you. I think that, um, you know, you and I over the last year or so, I've talked to a bunch of guests um, with variety of perspectives. But I think to kind of sum up that, it's that coaching and mentoring uh, are really important. We've talked about social support for both entrepreneurs and just people in general through clubs and professional associations. Um, and we've talked about mental health support and substance abuse and all these things mixed together are really important for success. All of us need support um, at varying degrees at varying points of our career, all of us. Uh, and each of us needs different types of support at different times. So finding the right mix that works for you is really this lifetime of experiment because what works this year, two years from now, you may need a different type of support. Um, so finding the right mix that works for works for you is really something that's a, a lifetime challenge. I think the worst thing you can do, it's easy sometimes to talk about, you know, I say, what can you do? But what shouldn't you do is realize that you need some help and support and choose to do nothing. Uh, I think everything else is just finding the right mix of support at the right time of your career and in your life. And that can include coaching and mentoring and um, professional associations, mental health, whatever whatever it is that you need. The, the challenge is finding the resources that are there because the resources are out there. They might not always be easy to access, but they're but they're there and, and you, you should do your best to, to take advantage of the things that will make your life better um, and better for those that are around you. So, again, my long answer to a short question, Bella, but that's my thoughts. What do you think? Yeah, Mike, I think uh, that was well said uh, about coaching. I really appreciate your, your thoughts on that. They were, they were excellent. It's a good way to, to kind of think about it. So yeah, let's wrap it up. Great. So really the takeaways today revolve around wellness and health. And uh, Greg made a really interesting point uh, in a really interesting way that these need to come first for entrepreneurs, that you can't take care of others without taking care of yourself uh, and this, I know this idea of self-care is a hot buzz phrase right now, but I think there's really something to this. Burnout is real. I've seen it not only in my own uh, life, but in people close to me, but in lots of the, the uh, entrepreneurs that I've kind of coached and mentored and taught um, that uh, this is something that's real. Stress is real. Entrepreneurship can be incredibly challenging. And so this idea of self-care is important. And so I think these are all great things for our listeners to consider. So listeners, uh, you know, again, we're really happy that you joined us in our little podcasting adventure uh, this week. And we hope that you found the last uh, 45 minutes or an hour interesting and thought provoking. Uh, at this point, we'd like to once again, thanks Phillips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. Um, and if you need good, solid advice, starting funding or selling a business, whether you're a single person startup uh, or working on a nine figure exit, Bela and I confidently recommend the attorneys at Phillips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? For more information, contact Rich Honan who is a Phillips Lytle partner. You can call him at 518-618-1225 or you can reach him at rhonan at phillipslytle.com. You can always find his contact info in our show notes. So thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we've discussed or suggestions about topics or potential guests, uh, please do get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do subscribe if you haven't already. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. Until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike. Sounds great, Bela. From here today, I'm in Constance, Germany, down in the south. Uh, I wish you and the listeners a very good week. Bye-bye.